This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by eczema. Eczema is a condition where patches of skin become inflamed, itchy, red, cracked, and rough. Blisters may sometimes occur. Different stages and types of eczema affect 31.6% of people in the United States. The word eczema is also used specifically to talk about atopic dermatitis, the most common type of eczema. And now on with the show. Warning! Warning. Spoilers Spoilers ahead! If you haven't seen The Irishman or a loved one has and they're standing in the room next to you like making some fresh bread or something, maybe reconsider listening to this podcast because we're going to talk about some stuff that happens in The Irishman and you should probably see it first. Once again, warning! Spoilers spoilers ahead! ahead. That's all, thanks. (laughs) Do you see what it is? It's Bach's Prelude 1 in C major performed in 1.5 years. He sang one note per day. <laughs> For a year and a half, he did this every day. That's kind of haunting. <laughs> what I'm wondering is, did he, like, auto-tune these? I don't know. Yeah, he just go, ah, uh, every day. It sounds like it. That's a beautiful piece of music, though. He's in a lot of different places around the world. He is. He's a traveler. He's probably got an Instagram for that. <laughs> the one below that is, Kid feeds very small critters to his chickens. <laughs> there's so many good things on here. And there's so much good stuff on the Good Ship Brothership. It's called Gandalf. <laughs> it's just Gandalf with one tooth. That's That's very good, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for... Once again, just taking this show up a notch in its pedigree. We're on the Deep Into YouTube subreddit, which is a subreddit okay. where... When you say we... We. You mean... I. Yes. Together with yeah. you. Well... We're on the Deep Into YouTube subreddit, which is uh, exactly what it sounds. It's just a place where people collect uh, really strange and usually not popular YouTube can videos. Can I just say, I don't really want to go deep into YouTube. Oh, there's some funny stuff on there. Look what we just saw. That was good. Like a man who drinks a 20-year-old Pepsi and then vomits <laughs> so that's not deep into YouTube because that has like 18 million views. Yes, yeah. But like, I mean, I'm, I'm willing probably to bet was that if you're, li- if you're listening to this episode, you probably haven't seen the guy drinking it. It's a 20-year-old Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> the video is called Enjoying a 20-year-old Crystal Pepsi. And uh, the guy just drinks it and just vomits immediately, which is quite funny, in just my opinion. Fire it's like, hose. It's like I was saying before we start recording, it's as if his body specifically rejects the only the Crystal Pepsi. With so much water pressure, too. I know, like, like a lot of... That's the amazing thing about vomiting. It's a lot of power. <laughs> it's a lot of power. Like the last time I vomited, I, I got like the whole wall. Like you I was spackled the entirety of I your bathroom. literally hit the bathroom wall at an angle that was higher than my head and my head was like inclined downward was that a reflection sort of thing yeah absolutely because i put just... my hand in front of my mouth oh so you thought i was like putting your thumb over a hose yeah just like, oh totally <laughs> but i put my hand over my mouth and then i just went <clears throat> you know and it was just one like explode like concussive explosion and then i was up at 
two in the morning cleaning my own vomit out of my bathroom. I don't know that it's possible to be more miserable than you are <laughs> at the time while you're throwing up. Uh, yeah, usually, it's pretty low. Usually, it leads to feeling better pretty quickly, but that yeah, actual oh, yeah. time when you're like mid, mid midstream, <laughs> yes, um, it's a well. Rock it just depends on sure. how. Yeah. Well, leading up to it's always bad. But as yeah, soon as I true. puked then, I was like, oh, I feel great. Yeah. Now, too bad my bathroom is completely trashed. It looks like a like a opium den in here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is actually not a vomit and gastro podcast. This is the Good Ship Brothership. Uh, let's just do the theme music. Okay. We, need a, we need something kind of light. And... and I feel like this will provide the levity and... It will refocus us for our discussions. I don't feel very focused. You don't? Are no, you but I feel ready. I'm a little bit tired. I was more tired earlier. I, I've only eaten supper today. Mm. So I didn't eat anything until like 5.30. And you know that you know that tired, unfocused, angry yeah. kind of feeling you get when you don't eat all day? You get I hungry, that in space. and then if you go long enough without eating, you get tired enough that you'd rather not eat than eat. Absolutely. And that's how people start. It only death. makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I ate, and then I was monstrously tired and quite bloated feeling. No, it makes a big difference for me. Like, today, we started with a class at school at 8 a.m. That's very uh, physics-heavy. It's all, like... You're aboard the Good Ship Brothership. What is it? It's the only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and talking over our own theme music pretty much every time. I'm Grant, and this is my brother, Jason. Hello. Uh yeah and anyway we we got our food at this uh, restaurant and I ate my burger in literally about five minutes and I felt quite disgusting immediately. Mm. Anyway, Jason, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the 2019 Netflix and Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman. It's interesting they put Netflix. I mean, as you kind of do, it's very heavily associated with Netflix. Yeah, yeah which we we'll discuss that yeah. a little bit because I think that that's really interesting. But first, let's catch up a little bit. I haven't seen you in almost a week. 48 hours. What? 48 hours. Oh, yeah. I guess you were here Sunday, weren't you? <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about we saw each other Monday. And then we Monday? also... Yeah. What? We oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we saw yeah, each yeah. other Monday. And right, we also right, saw each right. other the day before that. Yes. Oh, so this yeah. is actually the third time I've seen you in the last week. Well, I'm really glad. Yeah. I'm really glad that you cherish our time together. <laughs> I do. seen you twice in the last four days, and you've just completely wiped that from your... If the aging mind yeah well a lot's going on yeah. in our lives and in everybody's lives so but we also didn't we didn't really talk about our no artistic explorations last time we were together we were all so, business so um, uh enlighten me actually one of the last times we met we ended up talking a lot about vomiting that time too on sunday we did did yeah. we talk about vomiting yeah oh yeah we went through a few good stories but that's beyond oh the, yes that's beyond yes, the scope yes. of this podcast I'm just um, vomiting is just one of those things that I find like inherently funny. <laughs> like I don't I don't really yeah. I don't quite know why, but there's there's just something about it where it's just the the absolute lowest point a human being can get to like it, naturally. You can't right? vomit with like, dignity. No, and everybody does it. So you look at any human being alive, that person has like positively hurled. Do you think there's somebody <laughs> I know we're getting a bit off track here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, seriously, there's somebody who's made it to age 50 without ever vomiting in their life? No, there, absolutely There must not. be. No, absolutely there must not. be. No. I'm saying there is for sure. Dude, even you think about babies, they throw up all the time. But 
What if one didn't? No, that's literally impossible. Okay. Uh, write us if you've if you're over yeah, fifty and you've right, never yeah. thrown up, or if you know somebody who's over fifty and never thrown up, because we we will, will have we them will, on the podcast. We will ha- we will call them and yeah. interview them about what that feels like. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah. <laughs> so what have I been up to recently? Well, yeah. the uh, only real television I've consumed uh, in terms of movies and normal TV shows is The Irishman. I've also right. been I've been on a big car kick again. I'm a I'm a big car enthusiast, but are you? I am. Oh. But it comes and fits and starts these days because I don't always have the free time to keep up with that industry as much as I'd like to with all the other stuff that I enjoy doing. But I've been back into it in a big way recently. And there's this YouTube channel called Gears and Gasoline that makes these really nice uh basically films when you put together the different parts it ends up being an hour hour and a half. Where they do road trips with interesting cars. Um, the most recent one they did was like an old Miata and an old Civic Type R. And they drove from Virginia down to Florida up to Nova Scotia and back to Virginia. Whoa. It was like three times as far on our road trip in those cars in like April. So it was like all snowy. Or no, March. Because it was all snowy out in Canada. It was Ew. crazy. Um, and I... I was just that just doesn't seem like something anybody should do voluntarily. It looked like fun. They did, they took like three or four weeks, as you'd have to really. I mean that's a huge distance. Yeah, you'd still be driving a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was just musing about how the the power of YouTube, and we complain and I complain all the time about ads and paywalls for content and all the YouTube red stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to stop and remember. Like, the quality of these films, and there's lots of channels that do this stuff, is just amazing. Like, I would happily pay for this. And I was saying to Dad, because he really liked them, too. Mom and Dad both did, actually. Um, like, imagine 20 years ago, if you could just get this for free in your home and watch it whenever you wanted. Like, that's that's such a foreign concept. You'd have to yeah, have you... to rent a video. You'd have to have cable. You'd have to go to a theater. YouTube is, in my opinion, one of the best parts of the internet. Yeah. and that's why I get really, really nervous with all the ads and how pushy they are for you to subscribe to premium and whatnot now, because I'm like, don't ruin the good thing you have going here. Like just, just with putting even side ads, like just the little ones that you scroll past or whatever, not the ones that banners freaking. Yeah. Like just by having those, they're making an obscene amount of money. And it's like, just, it's such a capitalist corporation thing. Now I'm sounding like a some sort of a lefty, but to you know over advertise and just kill off, you know. Yeah, and I mean they are a, a capitalist corporation, and I don't think they will. But I think that there's always something to the fact that the the upstart will eventually become the establishment if they're successful enough. That's oh, the weird. Totally. Yeah. That's the weird thing is YouTube was such a disruptor to. Really, everything yeah <laughs> yeah to cable to movies whatever um but eventually well, eventually if you strangle some of those platforms then you become but you the new YouTube, youtube what was interesting about youtube is that it operated like in parallel with television for over a decade mm-hmm. like it wasn't trying to compete it was just no. odd independently like it's a, it's a lot of tutorials and blogs and stuff like that but it really is, in my opinion, like like television, but without all the BS. Mm-hmm. 
you know yeah it's and it's a great learning tool and yeah so that's that's what i've been enjoying for that um for games i'll keep it brief i've still been playing the shovel knight expansion i'm not finished with that still been playing around with gta 5 which is just a hoot and a holler and then i've been getting really back into into sim racing on with our our car topic and that's something that i really enjoyed a lot as a younger fellow and so it's been a lot of fun to boot all that gear back up and just kind of nerd out and turn some laps whatever uh, and for books, I've still been reading Johnny Cash's autobiography, which I think I touched on last time. Really exceptional book. I'm almost finished that now. But yeah, that's it for me. Not a whole lot. I've been busy with school and all that stuff. What about you? Well, I'm just kind of I'm just going through my uh, Netflix right here, here trying to see. Wow, well, just trying to see what I'm uh, what I've been watching. I haven't really been watching a whole lot of Netflix, or you know for that matter any kind of film related thing aside from obviously the topic at hand um i've been actually just in the last little bit now i've been motoring through blood meridian again and i'm realizing it's such a um for me anyway not wanting to read cormac mccarthy is such a uh uh what's the term i'm looking for It's, it's a mirage it's a Whatever. Anyway, the reason I don't want to read Cormac McCarthy is... Oh, should we just scrap this episode and yeah. just start over? No. Like, what is wrong with me? No. The reason I'm always kind of afraid to start reading Cormac McCarthy or why I always kind of shy away or I put it off is because I have this vague preconception that his stuff is really dense. No, it's pretty easy to it read. Is, it is. But it is dense. It's very lyrical and very prosaic and very poetic. But as soon as I start reading it, I'm like... Why Why did I not read this mm. way sooner? So I've been motoring through Blood Meridian. I've only got like 100 pages left. I think we should review it at some point on I, the show. I would love to read that after I finish the Johnny Cash book. Yeah. Um, it's phenomenal. And uh, I've been just starting to read a big collection I have of the Watchmen comic books. Excuse me. Partially for research into a book I myself am writing, and partially because I really enjoyed the movie when I saw it. I think it was a Zack Snyder movie, maybe. And uh, the illustration superb, hmm. and the uh, the dialogue is pretty interesting. It's a little melodramatic, but you know what do you want? It is a comic book, which puts me in mind of something else. I want to run past you, and then I'll get to the last thing I've been ingesting. Sooner rather than later, and by that I mean like maybe our next episode that we record or prep for we should review the killing joke hmm, the batman comic book yeah. it is so short mm-hmm. and i think really thought-provoking and i have a hardcover copy of it and yeah like you you'll sit down yeah. and read it in like under an hour let's do probably. that yeah okay anyway and then the last thing is i've actually been ingesting a lot of lazy game reviews on oh yeah youtube i like i've been i've been watching that guy <laughs> since a long time before i heard colin mention him yeah yeah and when he mentioned him i was like I, that sounds familiar mm-hmm. and then the thing that got me to check him out again was how he's like i love that guy's voice yeah and he does have like this fantastic like hello everybody how are you doing it's lazy game reviews like he's got like mm-hmm. this real talk radio kind of voice and he does on. most a lot of like old tech teardowns and he talks about the history and well he does a lot of he does I I like his Oddware series. 
Mm-hmm. You're looking at me kind of with a blank expression. Does that mean you don't know what I'm talking about? Isn't that just like weird hardware? Yeah. Like so, for a sector? So yeah. he, he did like this one game controller. And now if you're at home, I just want you wherever you wherever you are, unless you're driving, to just sit back and close your eyes and picture this for me. A stereotypical game controller, but with where your left hand will go, a massive orb. A massive like ball sticking out of it. Huh. And then on the other side, more traditional buttons and stuff. That sounds like a horrible idea. I can't remember what it was called, but the idea was that you would twist this ball in and it would give you like more control than ever before kind of thing. Huh. So whew, I just clicked the mouse and I was afraid that we would stop there. But um, yeah, so I've been watching lots of his stuff and he, he has such a strange taste in video games. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, like I've his... probably only watched about six to ten of his videos. Yeah, okay. But, like, all the games that he reviews are, like, those really loopy, um, over-the-top animated side, like, PC side-scrollers nice. from, like, the early to mid-2000s. That's sweet. Yeah. And they're so, they're just super weird. And really, like, this is a really great game. But I'm, I'm watching, I'm like, it, it doesn't look that good. Like, it looks looser than the Sonic the Hedgehog, like, side-scrollers. It just doesn't look that fun to me. You did have to go fast in those. You did. Um, do, you, do you remember the game we had that I think came from a General Mills cereal box? Almost That certainly. was the Stuart Little skateboarding oh, game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I would I would Tony Hawk 720 on vert with that Stuart Little game. It wasn't all skateboarding, was no, it? No, I don't like, think so, but that's what I remember. Yeah. For for those listening who may be too young to remember this, cereal, like cereal boxes used to come with actual CDs inside of them that had actual free video games on them that were always garbage. Like, yeah. the video games were terrible. But, but you don't know better when you're six years old. if you're a little kid and you got it out of a cereal box, or I think Grandma would sometimes get them out of cereal yeah. boxes and give them to us, and, you know, your parents won't let you buy or won't buy for you an actual game system. And you're broke because you're six. Yeah, that's pretty much the best you can do. So yeah. you play those games. And that's what we did. I find it online. Anyway. On to the topic at hand. Yes, we are here to talk about the Irishman. Let me pull up Wikipedia and I will do a quick read through. Let me just kind of sit. We got to kind of optimize this setup here. Because mm-hmm. I'm kind of sitting sideways. Um, okay, The Irishman. The Irishman, also uh, titled on screen as I Heard You Paint Houses, is a 2019 American epic crime film directed and produced by Martin Scorsese and written by Steve Zalian. Based on the two, 2004 nonfiction book, I Heard You Paint Houses, by Charles Brandt. It stars It, that is the movie, stars Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci, with Ray Romano, Bobby Cannavale, Anna Paquin, uh, Stephen Graham, and Stephanie Kurtz, Kurtzuba. Man, this is throwing like all the curveballs mm-hmm. at me today. Jesse Plemons and Harvey Keitel in supporting roles. The film follows Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro. My fly is down. Do you want me? Do you just want to bring the podcast to a screeching while, halt I just, while you do that up? Yeah, go ahead. The film follows Frank Sheeran, played by Robert De Niro, a truck driver who becomes a hitman involved with mobster Russell Buffalino, played by Joe Pesci, and his crime family, including his time working for the powerful teamster Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. Um, so there, there are some interesting, interesting kind of factoids and just. I think I think it'll set kind of a context for our discussion if I read out this next bit as well. Mm-hmm, sure. So I'm going to do that, and I'm actually going to rotate this microphone Oof. just so that I have a bit more. Uh, I'm 
I'm kind of all up on it now. Uh, in September 2014, following years of development hell, The Irishman was announced as Scorsese's next film after Silence in 2016. Did you ever watch that? No. Me neither. I, well, actually, that's not true. I watched about half of it and went, wow, this is really boring and I don't care about it at all. And then I stopped. Um, after Silence, De Niro, who also served as a producer, and Pacino were confirmed that month, as was Pesci, who came out of his unofficial retirement to star after numerous requests. Principal photography began in September 2017 in New York City and in the Mineola and Williston Park sections of Long Island and wrapped in March 2018. Scenes were filmed with a custom three-camera rig to help facilitate the extensive de-aging digital effects that made De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci appear younger. Within, with a production budget of $159 million and a runtime of 209 minutes, it is above the most expensive and longest films of Scorsese's career. The Irishman premiered at the 57th New York Film Festival and had a limited theatrical release on November 1st, 2019, followed by digital streaming on Netflix starting on November 27th. The film received critical acclaim with particular praise for Scorsese's direction and the performances of De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci. The film received numerous accolades at the 92nd Academy Awards. It received 10 nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Pacino and Pesci, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Additionally, at the 77th Golden Globe Awards, it was nominated for five awards, including Best Motion Picture, Drama, while it earned 10 nominations at the British Film Academy Awards, including Best Film. So there's something there's something kind of interesting about The Irishman to me, and that is this little bit here. I'm going to highlight it so that you can see it. So the budget, as we as we discussed, was a pretty a fairly eye-watering 159 million, and that's U.S. dollars. So if you're Canadian, that's like 300 million dollars. Um, that was a joke. The box office take, although I know I understand it's a limited theatrical release, eight million dollars. I mean, How the box office wasn't the point, but what is the point? It's to make Netflix more attractive. This is a really it's a really competitive streaming environment right now, and I think Netflix is eager to flex its muscles and show that it's still king, uh, you know, facing the onslaught of Disney Plus especially, but also Amazon Prime and Hulu really upping their games as well. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I was just kind of interested by this because I don't know many people in my life who would go, oh wow, I should get Netflix because Martin Scorsese just put out a new movie and it's on there. But I think and I should say and, and and furthermore, sorry. I don't I don't know many people who would go for Scorsese and then stay for reruns of Friends and that 70s show. Well, Friends is going to be gone soon anyways. True. Um, <laughs> but I think and and uh I should note here that I really like investing and I'm actually invested in Netflix, so I have a definite bias. Basically, don't listen to anything he says. Well, I think that right now we're at a time when where Disney has a lot of buzz because they just launched Disney Plus and The Mandalorian is huge. Everyone's talking about that. And I think that Netflix really wants to remind people that they are a force to be reckoned with in terms of original content. And I don't think they're trying to... Like, I don't think the prime goal of this movie was to attract new subscribers. I think it was to remind everybody that, like, we just spent $159 million on what is 
maybe the biggest movie release of the year. One of the biggest, certainly. Certainly in the top five. I mean, five. like, who's bigger than Scorsese? It's, it's <laughs> like, with like, De Niro with and Joe Pesci Al and Al Pacino. Yeah. And like, yeah. So I, I think that that was the prime motive for the movie was to from the netflix standpoint yeah i I would tend to agree it's just a is such a humongous cost Mm -hmm. for something that they know they're not going to earn back on directly but this is this is what i think netflix is doing is i really do think that they're going for the they're going the film enthusiast route and i think that they're going to go for more of the serious stuff they're going for everybody though like they just they just uh had their quarterly conference call Yesterday, they added 9 million subscribers, like added net additions was 9 million people worldwide. And let, let me be clear too. I freaking love Netflix. It's insane. Like I use it. I want to slap everybody who says there's nothing good to watch on Netflix because it just, you know, you, there's so much good content on Netflix. There's so many wonderful movies and really good TV shows. And a lot of their, um, original content's really good too Mm -hmm. like quite frankly like something like altered carbon which i watched and actually really enjoyed a really thoughtful and very cool like sci-fi noir in the lines of blade runner did we ever talk about beasts of no nation uh i don't i can't we should we should talk about that if we didn't because that was a netflix original film that was amazing yeah totally totally blindsided me so however so how do we how do we want to do this? I I would like I would like to interview you about it. Well, I'd like yeah, to lead the discussion. Why don't you, you ask me the questions and then I'll just say I te- whatever I, I want to say up, afterwards. You knock them down. Sure, as they say. Yeah. Okay, so the, the I think one of the biggest. Well, first off, a lot of people I know are actually talking about this movie. Everybody is aware of it. Yeah, I was talking Pretty to much. some people at school about it who had seen it. And what would you say the first thing that comes up is? Uh. Because I noticed uh, one thing that came up. Well, the de-aging is big for sure. Yeah. I, what what came up in my conversation was parallels between it and Goodfellas, which oh, really? which uh, astonishingly I haven't seen yet. Which is you haven't seen Goodfellas? That's probably that isn't is, it on Netflix? Yeah, it's maybe the most seminal movie of all time that I haven't seen yet. You haven't seen Citizen Kane? Your argument is mute. No, Move. Citizen Kane is more important, but less less like. Culturally important. Oh no, no, Goodfellas is not on Netflix. But anyways, I will straight up buy a a Blu-ray copy of it on the show right now, just so that you can watch it. We got other stuff to talk about. Let's do it afterwards. Okay. Um, but yeah, the the moral of the story is I haven't seen that, which is incredible. But take that into account when you hear my review of The Irishman. Have you seen Casino? I think I saw Casino a long time oh, ago. Oh, my word. I don't think you ever did, because no? I tried to entice you into watching it by showing you the first, like, three minutes of it. That doesn't work. He walks, he just walks out of his big casino all blinged out, and he gets into his car and turns it, like, turns the key, and the whole thing just blows up. That's I the beginning that. of the movie. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, Jason. Like, you need to watch Scorsese movies. I've seen, I don't, I don't know, I've seen some movies if you haven't before. seen goodfellas then like i know well that that's what i'm saying is this is the okay you okay, you're supposed anyway. to be interviewing no, 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 me not whatever. attacking me well sometimes i cross lines yeah so the one thing when i was talking to people that came up over and over and over again was three and a half hours three and a half hours three and a half hours mm-hmm. what do you think of the runtime do you think that this movie earns that runtime um 
No, but I think that it would have earned a three-hour runtime. Yeah. It is it is too long, but not by very much. Maybe even 3.15 would have been okay. And when I watched the movie, I broke it up into two different viewing times, or actually technically three, because I watched the first half twice. And I think that that probably gave me a little bit more patience. I might have gotten a bit more antsy if I sat down and watched the entire thing in one stretch. But, yeah, it felt a little bit bloated, but I would say that I've watched movies that were under two hours that have felt like they had an equal amount of extra minutes. So I didn't think it was a big issue. Ooh, excuse me. Wow. I'm kind of just belching a lot right now. Which I always do when we start podcasting. It's like... It's I start, you're talking a lot. Yeah. At this burger... Oh, come on. I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm a complete next, mess Next right question. Now. Stop reading my notes. I'm not reading your you're notes. You're reading my notes. Well, I see you, I just, see you like, over peeking there around the... burping and yawning, so I have yeah, the show well, must go on. Like, I'm... It's involuntary, and I feel like my body's shutting down, so okay. thanks a lot. Anyway, so the the next big thing, like, you were talking about the CGI. They do, they do aging, de-aging. I mm. explained to you how the de-aging and aging process on this movie worked. Although, the aging must have been done with It was more conventional makeup, makeup yeah. yeah. But the de-aging was done using, for those who don't know, the the brand new fresh science of deep faking, where you would, you know, get Robert De Niro, you get, you get you know, 360-degree uh, capture of Robert De Niro now, his face, his head, all that sort of thing, and then you go back into his catalog of works, his movies, and you enter them all into a computer program, which which then you know looks at a scene and goes, oh, there's there's that guy's face, I recognize that. Here it is from this angle. Here it is from that angle. Here he is smiling, frowning, yelling, whatever, and it creates like a composite of Robert De Niro's face younger. Three dimensional. Yes, and that that is you know why they were talking about the three camera rig. What one was a like there are references for that mm. technology basically. How did you feel about this? Did you feel like it worked? And if so, how well did you feel that it worked? I thought it worked really well, and I thought it had the potential to be kind of a game changer. Although I don't think it'll ever. I don't think you'll ever in the foreseeable future be able to replace well done makeup for some things but there's a limit to what that can do and and good makeup can't really make somebody look 25 years younger Mm. and I think this did and it worked in that I wasn't thinking about it all the time and and when I was thinking about it it was just like wow I can't believe that it it holds up that well even in this challenging lighting the lighting still looks good on it yeah the lighting does look Um, very good afterwards I was listening to uh, Mark Kermode's review of it and one thing that he brought up that I did, it kind of bugged me, but I didn't think about it as much until he said it, and then I, I thought about it more, is that in some scenes, the way he moves um, yes. is still the way yep. that somebody in their 70s or early 70s would move when he's supposed to be 40 kind of thing. Yeah, I, not- I noticed as, that all throughout like this movie. Mark Kermode pointed out, uh, you see it most acutely in the, the grocery scene, where he just doesn't have the same... Um, Dexterity, I guess, that you would if you were a there's younger just, man. There's a lack of fluidity in his motion. Yeah. His shoulders are kind of hunched. He's a little stooped. He moves kind of stiffly, and it looks very weird to me. Now, I will say, for my own viewing experience, a lot of the time I forgot about it. But it's like, but when they were doing the sections of the movie where he was more extensively, like he was, he was 
at his youngest, we'll mm-hmm. say, in the movie. Yeah. And there are what? How many different timelines? Three, oh, maybe three, Four? and then a few, a few in between, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, but in those youngest sections, I felt like he was quite. He he just looked kind of robotic, and there were some some parts too where his mouth would be kind of a little open, you know, like, mm-hmm. and generally you look at somebody doing that, the inside of their mouth, you know, you can see their tongue or the in, the actual inside of their mouth, their teeth or something. There were a couple times when his mouth was just a little agape and it was just like a black slit of a mouth that he had. And that was only like in a couple scenes hmm. where, where that actually bothered me because the inside of somebody's mouth isn't you know, like completely but, black. But in relative brightness, if you're film, filming it with a camera, it probably would be. It would be really hard to have anything exposed in that. If I it, took a picture of your mouth right now, it, it would just be might, black. It might be, but regardless, there was something about it that looked a little CG and looked a little fake to me. But on the whole, nobody's ever done effects like this this well and without using any sort of motion tracking on the actors. Like the actors uh-huh. didn't have any... Uh, prosthetics or any markers on their faces at and all. And the face never really bothered me. It didn't get to me, and like I said, I forgot about it for the most time. But you do start to notice um, he's the exact same weight between the timelines. Yeah. Um, his facial proportions, which do change as you get older, are the same throughout all the timelines. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it irked me just a bit. Not a lot, but I was thinking about uh, Raging Bull was made when? Yes. Like er- early 80s? Is I that was, right? I was just about to bring um, up Raging Bull. And in Raging Bull, older De Niro gained a bunch of weight, and he looks so much older. And it made me think, with all of this digital technology, I think the best scenario, 1980, yeah. is when Raging Bull came out. I wish that they had employed some of those old school tactics along with the technology, and I think you could have got a better result that way. Yeah, I, I can. I'll never forget... Because we see aging of actors as something that's done gratuitously in film. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget watching Raging Bull with you for this show the first time and getting actual literal chills and almost getting emotional at how much older the two main characters like, that's not, I didn't even think it was still the same actor. Yeah, but it was also De Niro and Pesci. Mm-hmm. Which is really, really cool. And, yeah, it was a very, very, very emotional part of that movie. And that is a great movie. Oh, yeah. Um, have you done any research relative to the actual life and times of Jimmy Hoffa? Uh, I just read his Wikipedia page. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Then I'll skip that question. Okay. <laughs> Did you read about all the crazy theories about his death? How people think he's, like, buried in a football stadium? And no. some people think he's... Like he got thrown into a, uh, f- like a incinerator, and some people think he got thrown into a trash compactor. Some people think he was stuck in a car, and then most of those the sound car pretty was crushed. Reasonable. And yeah, um, anyway. Also, that's a spoiler. We should put a spoiler warning ahead of this. Let's let's yeah. just spoil this movie. We should. Well, um, yeah, we 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 need to put a spoiler mo- yeah. warning. Okay. So, one of my biggest issues with this movie was the intertwining narratives. Um, the intertwining timeline, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, f- sometimes it it was not... Uh, it was not... Didn't feel confusing to me. But other times, we're relying so heavily on what amount to fairly subtle changes, CGI changes in, like, the actors' faces in terms of how old they, they look mm-hmm. that I sometimes found myself going, like, wait, like, are we... 
is this the middle timeline or the late one or the really late one or is it the one that's kind of you know and i just felt like it juggled a lot of a lot of timelines and in a kind of clumsy fashion i i really disagree i've I was blown away when I watched it that I was never, ever confused by what timeline I was in. Okay. That was one of the, my prevailing takeaways was I thought they did a great job at separating that just by visual cues, you know, like the car that they're driving in the middle timeline, like showing shots like that. Yeah. Um, or the women standing somewhere smoking a cigarette together just like there, immediately there establishes some, there where, are some, when you are. Some really great, or his watch, which Jimmy yeah, Hoffa gives watch. him, or the ring that uh, Russell gives him or whatever. The one thing that did irk me timeline-wise, though, and I don't know what the right answer to this is. There might not be one. But it's that kids aging up is tough. And yes. in the youngest timeline, he has a daughter who is maybe t- 10 to 12. I don't know. And then in the middle timeline, she's maybe between 18 and 21 sort of thing. So you yeah. need a different actress. Yeah. And that really confused me in one or two scenes. I'm like, wait, where, like, who are you? where's yeah. Peggy? And then eventually I just figured out. And I, um, I don't know what you can do about that, really. But that was the only thing that ever screwed with me timeline-wise. Okay. Well, it could it could be a factor of... Did you watch this movie at any point in all one sitting? No. No? Okay. No. Because I watched it in two sittings, and uh, it could just be the fact that you saw the first half of it twice, maybe? maybe th- that might be something that clears up with subsequent viewings, but for me, watching the whole thing, I was kind of like, eh. Hmm. Uh, I-, I, felt, I felt that, especially with the actors, like we already discussed, their bodies always move the same. Yeah. I found that a couple times I was a little, I was kind of caught off guard, or I was left behind a little bit by the... I, I almost think this technique would have worked better with somebody in their late 50s kind of thing. It would. But then again, most of these lead actors are actually like 80 now. But this yeah. movie's been trying to get made for so long mm-hmm. that they probably were in their 70s, their early 70s when it started, you know, rolling kind of thing. How well do you think, because I do think on the whole the technology works really well and it didn't bother me. Do you think it, this is a movie that's going to age really poorly? Like, do you think in 20 years we're going to be like, wow, this looks bad? I tend to think that anything that relies on uh, anything computer-generated as a method of narrative will probably age poorly. Then again, we look at something like The Lord of the Rings, and Gollum actually still looks pretty darn good, and mm-hmm. a lot of it still looks pretty darn good. But there Gollum. are there are parts where it does look kind of sketchy. Gollum's like a 7 out of 10, 6 or 7 out of 10 in 2020. But those movies are still totally watchable. Mm -hmm. Like, you could show them to a a 14-year-old now, and the 14-year-old would probably be like, that's awesome. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't directly harm the the narrative in any way. It's... But this relies so heavily on the interwoven timelines that I just don't know how how well it's going to track once we have technology that you know, augments the mm-hmm. actor's movements and their weight and all that sort of thing. I think it's kind of... Also, they said they did do some work to change his physique, like, in post. Like maybe he's, padded up his chest. They, yeah, slimmed like him down a little bit, but uh, it it looked basically the same. It, it does look... I just want to throw out there that they did do some work altering yeah. his torso. Yeah. Um, but that's just tough. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of it, for me, is how his head sits on his shoulders. Like... Here, here. I've got, um, I've got my Blu-ray of 
taxi driver here and you look at like a young Robert De Niro and just on the cover here, just how he's standing, Mm -hmm. his posture is completely different than it is now when he's what, 60 years older? Yeah. 70 some years older? What? 70 some? When do you think that movie was made? Uh, 76? That is not 70 years ago. Parents were born in 65 and they're like 54 years old. Well, it's pretty close. <laughs> I didn't say it was 70 years ago. Yeah. No, I didn't. Did. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yeah. Nuh uh. Roll the t- Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. Okay. Anyway, um, that's besides the point. Um, what did you think of the writing, specifically, obviously, the dialogue? I thought it was really well done. I, the movie, despite the heavy emphasis on technology, felt very human to me and very authentic. And you can tell that it's like the gang's back together and these guys know how to work together. They know how to do a scene. Um, And it's a little bit bittersweet to watch because I know like I've seen articles where they said, it's not surprising, that they're never going to do another movie like this. Certainly not. De Niro and Pesci said like this is, it's the swan swan song of these gang films which i mean they defined the a genre you know oh yeah um, and well not only define a genre they pretty much occupy a genre scorsese's whole catalog is who who do we know who imitates scorsese even well it's not imitation but like the god the godfather is up there that is true of like a movie like that, that is a good point All, and and scarface yeah i was gonna say who although who directed scarface scarface ugh. i don't know uh, it's it's somebody who like who directed scarface if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. i think I could, I might be about to be proved wildly wrong, but I'm going to Google it. I like that movie, but I haven't seen it for a long time. Brian mm. De Palma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's done some stuff. He did the Untouchables, Carrie, Dress to Kill. You know, he's done, he's done some stuff. Mission Impossible. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, um, but yeah, I like Scorsese's, um, and I completely agree with you. I, I found it kind of a little sad too, because and I, I mentioned this to you, it's just kind of sad to see Robert De Niro being that old. Yeah. Because you you just think of how brilliant he's been in so many movies. He was even good in Cape Fear, which is not that great of a movie, but the guy has just, throughout his whole career, he's just churned out almost untouchably good performances. It's the same way I felt about watching Grand Torino with Clint Eastwood. A very different... Uh, type of actor than Robert De Niro but where you see and that Gran Torino is my favorite Clint Eastwood movie where you see someone who's just been this badass for 50 years and you're like you're really getting old and it's a movie about being being old old and (laughs) And that's one thing that this movie tackled so interestingly and I mean Mr. Mr. De Niro and all the cast members I hope and assume are in pretty good health but you have to wonder how does it make you feel as somebody in your mid-70s we said we we're going to spoil the movie, so we'll talk about towards the end of the movie, um, as they show a variety of cuts of him aging up kind in of a thing. nursing home, um, going to yeah, going to jail, getting out of jail, getting weaker. He's falling down his apartment. He has to go to a nursing home, um, and I found it really like a, a touching view on how people get older and how death works in the modern era. Basically, I, I will I will jump ahead in my notes a little bit here and say that I was totally not expecting to get emotional at all in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing the scene where 
Robert De Niro's character and Joe Pesci's character in the prison together. Playing bowling or whatever? No, no, after that. Oh, they're yeah. sitting in the cafeteria eating, and Joe Pesci's character... Uh, what's his first Russell. name? Russell. Russell has had a stroke, mm-hmm. and so he's sitting there, and we have a, we have a great aunt who had a, a kind of similar stroke, it looks like. But he's doing that thing really well where his one hand is curled into his body like this. Yeah. Which you see with a lot of... Like like yeah. Aunt Susan, who's, and uh, he's got his hand curled into his body, and he just seems he he acted that part so so well. And he seems so deflated and so done. Yeah, and so yeah, just old and frail and weak and dying, really. And and I was I was tangibly affected by that. I didn't like weep openly yeah. or anything, but I got misty eyed just watching it. I think that was actually maybe the strongest part of the movie was how they ended it. I found it very affecting and and yeah, it's a, it's good for the movie too, but it's also fitting symbolically of kind of the end of the yeah, Scorsese, De Niro, Pesci, whoever else gang film movie. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I I thought that was great. Also, can we just say Al Pacino has no business looking as good as he does in his 80s? Yeah, no kidding. There's absolutely there's no way that that's his real hair that we see in this movie. I'm sure it's not, but still. Is he in his 80s? Yeah, he's like 80 or 81, I'm pretty sure. So the we've pretty much just covered my next point I wanted to touch on, which was the performances. I found them to be, They're across like the board, perfect. very good and aided by that script, which De Niro's writing has always been, you know, that very snappy kind of wise guy banter and that sort of thing, and... I love in every like every De Niro movie. There's a scene where a bunch of guys are negotiating something at a table, and one guy gets up and starts to walk away, and the other guys convince him to come back. And it takes like yeah. almost no convincing, you know. But it's like that that tough guy Italian mob like posturing, and it's mm-hmm. like this is how they do business. Is somebody always threatens to get up and leave? And Al Pacino's seventy nine, seventy nine. Okay, um, close enough. But uh, yeah, I th- I thought that the dialogue in this movie was a lot lighter and a lot more. It was very 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 well judged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not like uh, have you seen Mean Streets? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's not like Mean Streets or like Goodfellas, especially where with these iconic scenes with like the snappiest banter like committed to film mm-hmm. with like these Italian mobsters talking over each other and yelling at each other and insulting each other and that sort of thing. But it was so human and so perfectly judged that I just, I, I thought it was really, I thought it was wonderfully written and I'm sure in part to that it was magnificently acted in my opinion. And the movie was funny sometimes too. Oh yeah. The scene where she's like, where uh, Russell won't let his wife smoke in the car. Yeah. And she's like, now, now, uh, just because you stop smoking, I, ha- I I have to give up cigarettes. And then it just like cuts to them stopping and she's smoking a cigarette at the side of the road. Yeah. Or when uh, Russell calls Frank's daughter over and is like, do you know why God made the sky so high? So the little birdies wouldn't bump their heads. And he's like, isn't that yeah. cute? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that it's, cute? I love that. Or whatever he says. Just like so... Is such a stark contrast to like the very business-like mobster sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, the movie is it felt very human yeah um and part of that for me too was really i hate i don't like this term because it's really overused but grounded it was held down it was anchored by the set design of this movie which Mm -hmm. i thought was across the board 
perfection on every level and beautifully rendered all all every every aspect of this movie was was well organized the costumes the sets the props everything was flawlessly and correctly in its time period and that's another point i want to make about differentiating between the time periods is i think the costumes did a great job of that because you had different fashions they did well. but one th- one thing kind of does lead into another when you go from decade to decade yeah, for sure. But I you, I you, think that the costuming and stuff like that was so well done. You certainly know when you're in the 70s. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know? <laughs> yeah. And the movie kind of starts in like maybe the 50s or the 60s and yeah. goes all the way to the uh to the 90s, I guess. Yeah, maybe even more Early recently. 2000s yeah. even. But uh and then to cap this all off, what were your what were your thoughts on the cinematography that we saw? It was interesting. It was pretty understated really like there weren't a lot of um grand shots i think it will be totally ageless because it ducked any trends i don't think you'll see a single lens flare in the movie not a lot of shaky cam (laughs) um i don't think you'll see any lens flare the color grading is pretty neutral Mm -hmm. but it has a real warm yeah it has a real i don't want to say understated but subtle beauty it's gorgeously shot, especially some of the later scenes, like in the present timelines, where he's sitting alone in his apartment watching TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the cinematography is perfect. I don't think I don't think it's the kind of thing you'd hang on your wall, but I don't think it's supposed to be. And I almost for a movie like this, I almost feel like it would distract a little bit from what's important, which is the characters and the performance and the epic storyline. And I don't think you always need poster style cinematography well it's very much a drama uh-huh. and and i'm looking through i've got my beautiful blu-ray edition of taxi driver comes with a bunch of like stills from the movie and it's just reminding me like this taxi driver is so visually beautiful and mm-hmm. so striking and that so was evocative. a much more visually striking movie yes. than, than uh, and i think this. i think de niro did did well to kind of rein in that um, that kind of stylistic nature, but mm-hmm. there is one scene in particular when Russell and uh, and Frank, yeah, right, and Frank are in this uh, hotel. They've gone away for a wedding, and they get up in the morning. They're the first two up in this hotel kind of cafeteria mm-hmm. or motel. Cafeteria I can picture the shot you're talking about when they're eating and, the cereal. Yeah, yeah. But it it was something simple that a lot of a huge amount of directors would get wrong. Okay, it was the way it was shot when De Niro's character comes in we see him coming in from the right okay and all we see is him standing at kind of like the buffet getting a coffee or whatever and then it cuts to um, Joe Pesci's character Russell and he's on our left right Mm -hmm. and he kind of calls uh, De Niro's character over to him then De Niro's character cuts back to him he's on the left hand side of the screen he's getting his coffee ready or whatever and then it cuts to a wide shot of the room and everybody's in the right place mm-hmm. you, you you were just given the perfect visual information that your brain has mapped out the room before you were shown it mm-hmm. and it and it pulls back and it's like oh well there's joe pesci at his table there's a cigarette machine we just saw in the background there's uh de niro's character and there's how the buffet kind of works its way around the room and he's walking over to him and that just kind of 
inherent sensibility that Scorsese has when he's shooting something mm-hmm. is what sets a master of filmmaking apart from somebody like Michael Bay or, you know, uh, Michael Bay is the low-hanging fruit, but he's all I can think of right now. Um, and uh, and that kind of that kind of cinematography, that kind of music in it, is really woven all through this mm-hmm. through this film. And I I think it's really really nicely shot. There's some great shots right around that portion of the movie actually when they're kind of at a pool and they're they're hanging out there and. Yeah, it's it's just the movie slows down for a little while, and I think they had time to make it more visually uh, striking, just because it was a a lull in the story, but in a good way, in an yeah. intentional way. And 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 overall, to wrap things up, I, I I thought that the I think the movie's too long. I think it really does meander. I think it lacks. If you watch Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, uh, Goodfellas, which to me are probably the trio of excellent like incredibly good Scorsese movies I think you watch those three even Mean Streets they have this really snappy and uh, compelling rhythm and a propulsion to them that this movie does lack somewhat I think it's over long I think that it meanders a little bit but at the same time I think it does tell a powerful story and I think it's expertly acted it's expertly shot and it's wonderfully festooned with all manner of uh of wonderful you know sets and cars and props and costumes and that sort of thing yeah i i really loved it i would like to watch it again i think it it's a little bit too long but it made a good use of its length like this by no means should be a two and a half hour movie it Um, could be and it could be and i i found it really touching and very complete and holistic in that it addressed a lot of issues it, it wasn't uh just a war movie it wasn't a gang movie it wasn't just a drama it hit a lot of different notes uh, largely successfully yeah. all throughout the movie so i thought i thought it was pretty special and probably up there with beasts of no nation as the best films that netflix has up their sleeve yeah i mean it's scorsese yeah i mean it's it is scorsese it did this movie did do that very coveted thing for me of like we were talking about making you feel very sympathetic for these characters and then you go wait a second these are like murderous scumbags mm-hmm. who you know work for organized crime and extort people and ruin lives and murder you know wantonly and mm-hmm. and that dichotomy is very very it's a very very hard balance to strike and i will i think that there are a couple stumbles too with frank Sheeran's character overreacting a bit like when they say that somebody shoved his daughter or whatever and he goes and like throws them on the street and breaks their fingers and stuff i'm like but it but you go back and you read about these people that's not that far-fetched i guess not (laughs) but it really isn't but uh speaking of a bit too long and a bit meandering we've come to the end of this podcast and it has been both of those things uh have you seen the irishman did you enjoy it did you love it did you hate it were you somewhere in the middle let us know. Reach out to us on any number of social media platforms, as long as it's Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I don't have our Instagram on my phone. Oh, which you is don't. Broken. You should really get it. Uh, so yeah, you can reach out to us on either of those places. Just search for the Good Ship Brothership, and you will surely encounter us. You can also email us Gmail at the Good Ship Brothership at gmail.com. 
I thought you were saying our email address was gmail at the good ship brothers no, at gmail.com. We are, we are not affiliated are with you Google mom? anyway. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. And next time we will be talking about the 2019 album from the band, the English rock band, Black Midi, Schlagenheim. This has been the Good Ship Brothership. Over and out. Good night, sweet prince. Now I'm going to go back and listen to where you said that Taxi Driver was 70 years old. And then when I didn't say that. I definitely did. It was like 39 and a half minutes. I definitely didn't say that. No, you did. 70 some years older.